Hello, my name is Abby Mickey, and you are listening to the Wheel Talk podcast. We are back this week to talk about Ride London, a little bit of Turingen, and I don't know, we'll just see where the conversations take us. I am joined today by Gracie Elvin. Gracie, hello. Hey, hey. Um, thankfully, my voice is a little bit better this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you. I'm surprised actually you didn't just fully lose your voice with commentating on the Giro. Yeah, it was like... It was between five and seven hours of talking per night, which is for me like probably 500% more than what I would talk if I didn't have to work. So, yeah, a little bit tired. (laughs) (laughs) And Matt Deneef. Matt, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And we have a special guest with us this week who did not commentate for five to seven hours on Ride London, but did commentate on the race. Rebecca Charlton, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It is a joy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm a huge fan of your pod in various guises over the previous months, but my voice is going and that was only three days of Ride London commentary. So yeah, I'm a lightweight here, aren't I? (laughs) Gracie's just like on another level when it comes to life, so... Oh, yeah. No, you wouldn't be surprised if you saw what else I did between those hours. Like, so I kept it very low key. <laughs> Matt, Matt and Simon Garens, they both got kids. They had to actually do like things in the day, whereas I had bachelor bachelorette life. So, yeah, that was how I did it. <laughs> Wait, your cat doesn't keep you as occupied as kids? Well, I was away. I wish I could have taken oh, it true. with me. I missed That's her. That's a good point. Yeah. She's so cute. <laughs> Anyway, so we're going to talk about Ride London. We don't have any questions this week, but I'm sure hopefully we can answer some of your burning questions that you didn't get around to asking us. This episode of the Wheel Talk podcast is made possible by the generous support of our members at the Escape Collective. Monthly memberships actually just kicked off for $11.99 or save 30% with an annual membership to the website. That comes with tons of perks from being able to comment on articles, access to our member chats and stuff like that. For more information, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join. That's escapecollective.com slash join. And make sure to check out Escape Collective from everything from coverage of women's racing to niche the nichest of niche articles by the one and only Ian Trelor to some really interesting stuff and actually Matt has a really cool article in the works that you will not want to miss so head on over to escapecollective.com become a member monthly memberships just kicked off just in time for the summer racing season so take advantage of that and thank you so much to everyone who has already become a member and joined the escape collective we are incredibly grateful for everything that you allow us to do so thank you so much to our members and yeah, if you like what we do, then support us. Join the escape. Ride London. Where should we start? Okay, so was, I mean, in my opinion, a really exciting three days of racing. We had more live coverage than I actually anticipated. So that was really nice because when I looked at GCN, it just said an hour each day and there was a little bit more than that. I think we should start with the stage winners we had two stages one by charlotta cool and one stage one by chloe digart we're going to dig into the whole canyon strand thing i think we should start with cool because i feel like this just kind of continues to show that she's really an incredible up-and-coming sprinter and i'm so excited to see her go up against lorraine weebus when it comes to the bigger races later in the summer yeah i really agree uh it was kind of a shame that she didn't have a stronger sprint field but 
I think like this, the sprint finishes were actually still uh, really good to watch. And, you know, again, we've talked about Diget, how strong she is. She's not even a sprinter, but like, I think that that long sustaining effort she can hold which is so impressive. And, and there were still some fast finishes in the group as well. So Charlotte Cool and the DSM team didn't exactly have it easy. Yeah, I think everyone was disappointed, weren't they, when we found out that uh, SD weren't going to be there and Weavers wouldn't be uh, coming back for that battle with uh, her previous lead out. Um, but also uh, losing Elisa Balsamo for Trek Segafredo on day one, we were so excited to see where those two would go in a head-to-head. So I think a lot of it was probably quite affected by crashes, unfortunately, on day one, like quite a few spills um, in, in the first stage. Um but yeah, definitely enjoyed those gallops uh, nonetheless. Yeah, and it was cool to see Trek Segafredo kind of adjust their plans when they lost Balsamo because that would have been a huge blow to the team. I mean, she's been coming into better form and she was such an incredible sprinter last year. And um, unfortunately, she's going to be out for quite some time, I think, with the extensive list of injuries that she sustained in that crash. But Trek Segafredo were really aggressive on the first stage. Well, pretty much the whole race, but on that first stage, they did a great job of like trying to break it up. And it ended up not being just a straight sprint finish. There was definitely like a split and there were groups that came in behind. And I think I expected that stage to be a little bit more challenging given the profile like it wasn't just purely flat and it was a it was a really exciting stage but definitely like hats off to cool and five for georgie for like the incredible lead out because she's just like also just been so impressive this year and i have really started to like her quite a bit as a rider and like an all-around rider as well uh, she's just brilliant and she's just so lovely as well like off the bike I'm always fascinated how riders switch that on and off and she has just been a joy as I say not only to watch in the racing but I have a lot of opportunities to dive straight in with post-race interviews and obviously as you'll all know as well in various capacities that you work in the peloton um yeah it makes a difference when you have such an engaged rider that will not only do so much in a race but actually talk about it properly and and <laughs> kind of be <laughs> open to to talking about those tactics and how it played out in interviews as well, rather than kind of just giving those stock answers. And Vife is just fascinating and she just keeps getting better as well. And I was interested to talk to her about, you mentioned that split Abbey about sort of 13 riders. I think it kind of swelled a little bit, lost a couple of riders and then Di got made it across to it um, with Michael Vanderdown, I think as well of Canyon Shram. But um, what was interesting for me in commentary was obviously I'm being attentive to make sure like who's in this group, who am I going to be calling in this finish to make sure, yeah, I know that I'm going to get it absolutely spot on. Um, the viewers and I'm thinking right Lizzie Dignan is driving and driving and driving to spit this down and then I see of course that Charlotte Cole and Pfeiffer Georgie are in there um not what she perhaps would have wanted yeah that's like never what you want to see when you've brought the group down but I mean like Trek for Trek it was so impressive to see both Loretta Hansen and Lizzie in that group they're both coming back into the racing now like Lizzie obviously did the Vuelta and did the the Ardennes or the tail end of the spring season and for her I mean, she's just kind of building and building and building, but she was incredible this week. I mean, she was like sprinting against one of the best sprinters in the world and doing really well. And she's not even really a sprinter. So it was cool to see her back in the Peloton and back doing really well and like really awesome to see Loretta 
back in that split because, I mean, she had some horrendous injuries. I, I really felt like uh, Cool was easily the best sprinter. Daggett was the strongest rider in the peloton and Lizzie was the smartest. And I was actually, I think, enjoying that the most, watching exactly what Lizzie was doing. I think that I've just become such a big fan of hers and it's just co so cool to see her back racing again because she's so good to watch and you can see like in those um, breakaway situations she's like yelling at the other riders in those groups and like using her arms and you know trying to really motivate riders to make it work and she did that throughout the whole three days um, how she shepherds her other teammates where she positions herself in the race but especially in those last few kilometers like I, I couldn't take my eyes off her because it's fascinating some of the decisions she was making in the race and I think a lot of riders could go back and just watch her and, and learn so much from that. Yeah, I really agree with that on the learning as well. And and yeah, I was noticing how much she was just gesturing and she's just so, so on it, isn't she? Mm -hmm. And the speed which they obviously knew Balsamo wasn't going to be back in the race and they completely, as you said earlier, just completely changed the team tactics out on the road. And I can only imagine how quick it is for you as riders to, to make those decisions, but not only make that decision, but execute that in the way they did. And I think... Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, Abby, I could talk all day on this, you know, touching upon the fact that coming back into the peloton as a, as a mother um, and everything that goes with that and what her body's been through. Um, but I was thinking back to the women's tour when she won overall, I think it was pretty much spot on nine months after she had her first child. And then I think I'm right in saying this is pretty much exactly the same time, um, nine months since her second. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it's no small feat, is it, getting in there? And she's quite often said in the week leading up to Ride London, yeah, I'd quite like to gradually get back to the pointy end of the action. But, you know, she wasn't just at the pointy end. The amount of work she did just make that split happen to drive on the front. And then, as you were saying, to finish that off when she's not an out-and-out -out sprinter. I mean, it, it was pretty special, I think. I honestly can't wrap my head around having two babies and coming back. Like, I can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> no, but that just, just tells so you how, um, you know, talented she is, but also the, the very uh, strong head she's got on her shoulders and all the support she has around her. So, mm -hmm. you know, like not everyone can do that for all three reasons. And she's got all like plenty of good reasons behind her. But at the end of the day, you still have to, execute it and she does that and i think that's the mm. most impressive part i'm curious to see what the rest of the season holds for her will she get more opportunities do we think to to lead or will she be riding more in the service of others you know at the tour something like that do we think you know it would be surprising for me looking at her results in the past and also her form now given that this is the very beginning to not see her going for at least a couple stages in the tour but mostly having like captain duties on her shoulders with mm. kind of thinking about the other riders they have on the team and the ambition there. I mean, we'll see how Lisa Longoborghini comes out of this kind of horrendous spring that she's had with, with illness. She's just been sick over and over and over. And I think with the time trial and the, in the tour that they'll really be eyeing Eliza for like a general classification results Aliza Gaia I 
I'm curious to see how she will do in the time trial or if they'll kind of keep her for the Giro and if she'll even race the tour, that's kind of up in the air. But I do feel like, yeah, I, I would be shocked if Lizzie didn't get some kind of opportunity at the tour. Shocked and disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she even like, uh, it's really hard to know for sure, but I feel like she really enjoys being the team captain and being more of the support rider nowadays. I think that she's the kind of rider that when all the chips are down, you can lean on her to go for a good result, as we've seen in Ride London. But I don't think she's, you know, back now to just win races. I think she's back because she enjoys her job and she enjoys that team. And I think that she might put her hand up for one or two stages in the tour, but I think it'll only be maybe in the moment because she'll be feeling good and like up for it because I think that she'll go into that race just excited to do the race and excited to like have mm. a really good crack with the whole team. Yeah, well, hopefully we get the opportunity. Hopefully she gets the opportunity to go for those stages and hopefully we get the opportunity to see her at the pointy end because mm. as you guys say, she's, uh, yeah, fascinating to watch and um yeah it's a real masterclass for anyone watching uh, and getting into racing i mean she's just like she's just such a legend that it's kind of it goes along with you know last year at the tour we said seeing mariana voss in yellow just felt like right and i feel like seeing lizzie go for a win at the tour de france femme it also just feels right it, it feels like she's part of that like group of women that are still in the peloton that are in this transitional generational thing where like she was part of the pre when it was the world cups and everything pre world tour pre minimum salaries all of that and has been part of the growth and so before she leaves the sport which we don't know when that will be like hopefully she's in it for a little bit longer because she's just such an incredible rider that i think yeah it would just feel like all the stars had aligned to see her like win a stage or even try to win a stage. Yeah. And I think I, I do, I'm guilty of rolling out the cliches on, on the mic and commentary, <laughs> but I kept saying over the weekend, never say never, because I think, you know, all of us would have looked going into stage three at the, the time gap, albeit a fairly small time gap. But <clears throat> when you're looking at a GC up against Charlotte Cole and you're Lizzie Diagon and, you know, chatting to her pre-stage, she's like, well, look at the profile it's it's plan it's pan flat um in the center of london i mean what what can we do but equally with, with that she was sort of saying you know we will we will try and we won't <laughs> yeah we're going to put up a, a huge fight we won't just assume that we know how this result's going to play out and i actually genuinely believe her when she says that because the amount of times people have sat here and written her off and actually the plan has changed on the road and she's done something special um in a finale that you wouldn't necessarily put her down to be a favorite on paper so yeah i'm really excited to see where the season goes and like you were saying abby i think there's so many question marks around the rest of the team where people are at um so yeah it'll be interesting to see i think we need to talk about canyon sram because when you watch like lizzie race and then you and then you kind of like move your eyes over to Canyon Sram. I mean, the first stage, the the way the amount that the team grew in the three stages was wild to me. Like it was so cool to watch how they, in my opinion, like really messed up the tactics on stage one and then went flipped it around for stage two and ended up taking their first win of the season. And also just Chloe Duggar continuing to be just 
wildly impressive. <laughs> but I actually wrote a really critical piece about Canyon Stream after the first stage because I was watching their tactics and I was watching what they were doing and they had, you know, three riders in that front group. And it was because Chloe Dygart basically dragged Micah Vandedoon up to that front group. And then her and Soraya Paladin ended up sprinting for Micah. And I thought, what are they doing? Like, I love Micah. Like, she's amazing. She, there would have to be some crazy amount of luck and like some crazy amount of drama for that to be a matchup where I would see Micah Vandedoon being able to compete with Cool. And so I was really confused about maybe they wanted to give her a chance. But if you have three of the strongest riders in that group and they're all on the same team, like, why... Why wasn't Micah Vandedoon doing like 90% of the work? And then as soon as they hit that group, like Chloe should have just launched and gone for an attack because we can see how strong we, she is. We've seen it in every race she's done this year. And so I was, I was really critical of their, their tactics on stage one. And then stage two, they flipped it around and just had an incredible lead out for Chloe. And she was able to take a win. And it was fascinating to watch the turnaround and not just the lead out as well having Micah Vanderdoon off the front you know with 12ks to go reducing the pressure on the team and then it came back together 500 to go where Paladin was able to do her thing and then watching Diget sprint it was kind of funny it less of a lead out and more like and less of a sprint you kind of just rode away it was almost like a late break but it just happened to be like 200 meters to go in the stage um like you say, wildly impressive, Abby. And I, we've talked about this in the last few weeks about how she's still learning her craft, really. She's still so raw on the road and is is now winning World Tour races and still still trying to work out how to do it. And I think the next, you know, I've said this a few times, but the next few years are going to be very, very interesting to watch from her about uh whether she does go down this sprinting path, whether she focuses more on the solo stuff, whether she does a bit of everything, whether she focuses on her climbing, like she kind of hinted at in one interview during the week. Um, yeah, very interesting to see where that all goes over the next um, year or so, I guess. I thought it's someone that also needs that extra props was Soroy Paladin. I think like she's been getting stronger and stronger the last few years. And I think she's kind of just been on our radar uh, but I felt like this was a bit of a breakthrough uh, week for her as well. And um, I think she is really capable of a lot. And I think, you know, it's, I think it gives a lot of motivation and strength to a team when you start getting good results and you might have a winner or two in the team. And I think that, you know, Canyon Tram's full of talent, but they just haven't had some of those good results. And I think that's kind of just been dragging on them a little bit. But I think you could see, from having Chloe in the team and some of those other young stars that are coming up, that's that's actually helped Paladin as well. And I think, like, I haven't seen her quite that strong before, especially on stage two. So I'm excited to see, you know, some more progress from her as well. And confidence is infectious, right? Like, once we see one rider take a win, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them get a bunch of wins in the next few weeks now that they've kind of got their monkey off their back as it were you know they've finally got that win uh at the world tour level they can now you know maybe breathe a bit of a sigh of relief and they've had so many good riders this season that have just been off the pace just a little bit and maybe that's all it takes maybe just that one win and they start believing in themselves a bit more and yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see a handful more wins very soon after this one yeah, and I can only imagine the pressure on on the shoulders of, of riders sort of waiting <laughs> 
for that victory um, that everyone, uh, you know, we, we will sit around and talk about when are they going to do it? When are they going to do it? And actually, like you say, Matt, to get that off the shoulders must be huge. And we so often see that narrative, don't we? And then the wins just start coming through. But it was interesting seeing Diger around the race and how much she was um, suffering with her leg. And I don't mm. know how much of an impact actually I, I believe I'm right in saying she she came down pretty hard on stage one there's a lot we didn't see um on the tv cameras that you know there'd been quite a few spills before we we came on air but um yeah I I think she was suffering a lot and actually to see what she did with that in mind on stage two as well was was pretty remarkable seeing her afterwards after the podium yeah I was going to ask you Rebecca because there was some reporting um in the days following that you know, uh, Diget was limping around after the stages and she, she gave a quote saying something like, you know, this injury is going to affect the rest of my career. You know, for the rest of my career, I'll have to deal with this. And um, you were at the race. Did you did you see much of that? What was your impression of how how she was doing and, and what do you think that looks like going forward for her? Yeah, massively. I mean, yeah, going back to stage two and seeing her unleash that power and uh, yeah, essentially just power away and to take that, that stage victory afterwards she she was in bits she was on the floor um just clearly in so much pain with with that that leg with that you know huge injury that she's been coming back from and yeah for me and a, a few other people were sort of looking at it thinking like well, how hard has she come down on this stage but i don't know how much of a lasting effect it had with or without coming down whether she came down on that side we didn't see it and um, but she was clearly in a lot of pain um and and actually quite a few people had to help her to get to that podium so yeah she was suffering <laughs> and and yeah it just um, speaks volumes that she can still put that sort of power out and and simply ride away it's amazing isn't it it's kind of like she's riding with one and a half legs and that's kind of like a bit sad for the rest of the peloton but i was wondering too watching that um when she was on the ground after stage two and it, you could see it it wasn't put on like she was literally in pain and it looked like it was cramping a bit and i was just thinking like imagine if that injury had never happened like what where would she be now what would have she already achieved and you know how would have that have changed that narrative there for her and the team yeah and also just going back to the options that she seems to have and you can say right on paper she's very likely to be able to execute it in this way but actually coming in on something that looks like a, a pure sprinter stage and still managing to finish it off yeah it, yeah she's just phenomenal i mean i yeah and like part of stage two was obviously cool came down in the final yeah. like right before the final kilometer but but chloe was she was so well positioned into that sprint and part of the reason that she was so uh, she had so much space when the sprinting really started was took that corner really well and distanced Dagnan before she even had to go up against her really and part of that was the lead out as well but man she's just so impressive as a rider it's I mean even her bridging to that group on stage one like she basically did it all on her own just dragging Talitha de Jong and Micah Vanderdoon up to that group and it was really impressive to watch and i'm just like it's like wild <laughs> yeah it wasn't easy to get across was it um and yeah it, it'd be good to touch upon uh charlotte cool's crash as well um just over 1k scale obviously luckily within 3k um i feel like i'm the one dwelling on all the all the crashes here um i'll be more positive later in the pod um but she said to me and i believe she said this to a few journalists that that 
So for Cool, that was the hardest she says she's ever come down in her career to date. Um, so it was a bit of an unknown watching her on stage three, especially not going for any intermediates. I was thinking like, how, you know, how is she faring? How is she feeling? Um, perhaps that made it slightly closer on the line than it maybe would have been. Um, but yeah, she said she actually came down really, really hard. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a good thing it wasn't outside of the three k because I don't think anyone would have wanted to see the GC shakeout because of a because of a crash like that, um, and definitely made the third stage a little bit more interesting going into it. But I mean, look, when it came to the GC for this race, I feel like I wasn't so focused on it. It was like three really good stages of racing, and the GC was kind of always gonna be not that exciting just because it's a flattish race but it just made me miss the women's tour i'm i'm just so bummed that we don't have that race because that race is like basically a week of what we saw this week yeah i was watching like i think another reason too that if if i was sd works a reason why i wouldn't have gone is because racing in britain is heavy but like not in a good way and there's a lot of crashes the roads are more dangerous and i think going to turingen uh is a bit safer actually you get a little bit more racing it's a bit safer it's a bit hillier and i think for them it was better prep for the tours coming up and i was just i, I raced in britain a lot in my career and i had a love-hate relationship with it because it's really fun and it's it's always great crowds and you know we go on about the organization being one of the better ones. And, um, but yeah, I don't miss the roads. And when I was watching these three stages, I was just thinking, oh, I just have a flashbacks of some of the terrified moments I had in, on the British roads because you could see like the, the tunnels through the trees and it's always winding and the road surfaces aren't great. And yeah, I just like, I feel like statistically there's always more crashes there than in other countries. So <laughs> I was feeling for the riders and uh, I do, don't I do miss think it. It's a different beat, isn't it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, again, speaking to sort of the likes of Lizzie and Anna Henderson as well, they were sort of saying that we know, uh, <laughs> they know every traffic island, um, but we know these roads so well and the pinch points and just how brutal they are. And you could see Lizzie actually choosing quite, and tricky narrow bit when they I think that's when that split happened um but yeah they they know that those roads are brutal and can position themselves so far up but it's um yeah it, I I agree it's um it's a completely different beast on our roads um but I want to just touch upon the women's tour because that's a race obviously so close to my heart I've been the host um presenter for the coverage here in the UK on ITV for many years now and yeah it's heartbreaking for me um, and so many people obviously to not have that race but it, it plans are in motion to get it back for next year so just absolutely crossing everything. For this race there was there were so many British riders that had such incredible races you had some hometown teams that were like really aggressive trying to get off the front and then with Lizzie and Pfeiffer and Anna Henderson all three in the race doing incredibly well it's just like kind of watching the state of affairs of cycling in the UK at the moment is just just such a bummer because it's just like been there were they'd had so many good years there for a while and I really hope the race does come back because it's so important to have world two races not in continental Europe and I think that the women's tour is such a good middle ground to have a use um a world tour race that's not in Europe but is 
still close enough that the big teams show up. Cause like tour California was also amazing, but you only ever really had like two of the world tour teams show up because it was such a big track for them to get there. So I think it's just, it's really important for the growth of the sport to have that and like to have the races in Australia in the early season and stuff like that. And so fingers crossed that the, the race comes yeah. back strong and yeah, that we get to watch it. Yeah so important and and every rider as you say would speak to me you know off camera and say we love this race the organization what it's done for the sport we want to come here and race it and make it good and field it and so yeah it's it's a gaping hole that we really hope hope is back yeah also like as a rider i mean i will never forget the breakfasts the breakfasts were so good (laughs) (laughs) yeah they were (laughs) like after we've slagged off our roads let's just redeem ourselves back (laughs) for the women's Uh, but it's so important like as a rider like you if you look at the difference between racing like the giro and the food there and you racing (laughs) the women's tour it's it's very important for a rider (laughs) what what stood out what was what was on the buffet that took your fancy (laughs) (laughs) i mean it was just like well there was like the full english spread but it was also it was also just like there was a there was an amazing variety and everything was really good. And I crashed out on stage four, I think, when I did the women's tour. Uh, thanks to Iris. Shout out Iris for taking me out on, on that stage. my own teammate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was my fault. Hey, Iris. <laughs> um, but then the whole week, like the only thing I was looking forward to every day because I still had to stay for the whole race was just the breakfast. <laughs> yeah i can attest to that very good good. just like when you get the continental european breakfast they're just so sad compared to like a good stodgy (laughs) lots of variety english breakfast lots of hash browns lots of eggs lots of yeah lots of everything it's good (laughs) yeah you can leave the cold cuts off of my breakfast platter please (laughs) (laughs) warm all the way Uh, um, we, you touched on Turrigan a bit, Gracie, and I want to like dive into the two races going on at the same time and that Turrigan is not world tour and yet fielded, um, arguably like a more competitive field than ride London and why teams, there were multiple world tour teams that went to Turrigan that didn't go to ride London. And also like Canyon Stram had a split squad and kind of why that would be one of the reasons being that it's it's better prep for the tours coming up with six stages it's a little bit safer with the roads but also like some of the smaller teams i wrote a piece on escapecollective.cc.com if you want to check it out it's a great website i wrote a piece about the relegation battle and how that is kind of coming into play in the women's world tour this year with the the world tour licenses are up at the end of this season and everything is going to get shaken up with the top 15s will be granted world tour top 15 teams will be granted world tour licenses if they want them and if they fulfill the requirements and other than that, there's teams that are going to miss out. We've got a couple teams that are just on the cusp of losing their world tour licenses. And for a race like Turingen, it's if you break up the points, you can get not more points than Ride London, but almost an equal amount if you are able to put riders kind of in the top 10 of 
of Turingen, especially in the GC. And it's a really interesting dynamic that we now have in the women's world tour where we saw like with the men's world tour last year, it really forced teams like Israel premier tech to do a ton of smaller races for better or for worse. And now we're seeing in the women's like human powered health didn't, didn't even like show up to ride London. And yet they've been at smaller races. Like we've had Audrey at smaller races in France, trying to just get points for the team because they're on the cutoff right now. So it's super interesting. The whole dynamic of, of the relegation. Well, I, I'll pick up on Duringen. Um I, because I, I'd been at ride London with my attention fully on that. Um, I skipped through GCN and basically just caught up with how the end of each stage had played out. And because I'd kind of gone back and, uh, yeah, done a little bit of a recap, I think it accentuated even more the role of SD works. <laughs> and it's like, doing my, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, right, yeah, different SD works, yeah. I think people looked at the start list for Ride London and were like, oh, we don't have to race SD Works. And then looked at the start list for Turing and were like, no. Damn it. No. <laughs> I mean, I think, Matt, did you use the word ridiculous um, in, your, in your write-up? But I mean, as I say, it amplified the the result. Every single stage, different competition of, of SD Works and their tactics to just seemingly float to victory um but it felt to me like it let's just have a play right who's going to go for it today yeah i'll take this <laughs> i know i'd love to hear your opinions I, I wonder at what point in the race they sat down and were like oh we should try and get a stage win for everybody like did they decide that at the start or did they go right we've won the ttt and uh, now bread Ward's won the stage now Kopecky's on the stage or whatever, whatever it was, and then be like, oh, okay, so there's three stages left. Oh, everyone can win one. So how do we make that happen? <laughs> or like, did it just kind of happen that way? I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it is ridiculous. I, I kind of meant that in a playful way, like ridiculously cool. good. But like, yeah. um, I, I'm happy for writers like Misha Redwald and, you know, Barbara Grishy and Lonica Unica and stuff who, who don't always get those chances. But I don't know. I said last week um, that I wasn't quite at the point where SD Works' dominance was annoying or off-putting, but Turing definitely tipped me over that edge <laughs> where it's just it's a bit it's a bit silly, really, and, and you can't but you can't blame them. And um, Grace, you put it really well last week when you were talking about you know coming back to Australia and racing with Green Edge and you know, feeling like the tall poppy syndrome kicked in and people didn't want you to win or whatever it was. Um, I think all that's a bit silly and I don't want to begrudge the riders because they're just doing their job. You know, they're, they're there to win bike races and that's what they should do and that's fine. But I think as as a fan, you're kind of like, uh, did they have to go to Turin because they've just gone to Ride London, made that a bit closer in the sprints maybe and then freed it up for other teams in Turin. And, but I don't know. They, they did what they were, you know, they were entitled to be there and they did a great job. So good on them. They also went from like winning the TTT to go to like sweeping the podium on the first road stage. And so yeah. right off the bat, you're just like, well, come on. <laughs> and like, if you look at the results, they're like Marta Locke, who was fourth. So the first non SC works rider, you're like, this would have been an awesome result for you. But <laughs> SC works is just like on a whole nother level. And, and it feels like they're just, test it felt like with this race they were just kind of testing out different ways 
to win the race, different tactics and different how their mm. riders can be played in different ways ahead of the tours, which is just like awesome. Okay, cool. Like <laughs> if we were hoping for like some equal footing at the Giro and at the Tour de France Femme, like there's no equal footing right now with SC Works in the Peloton. Yeah, I don't know what to say about this, but like I just find it interesting to you you see it historically you'd see it in men's cycling and you see it most clearly in time trials and uh, riders from certain teams sometimes get similar times and I find that fascinating in that what are they doing as a whole team like what training camps are they doing what shared coaches do they have what other strategies are they employing as a whole team that lifts not just their top riders but everyone because in this tour it wasn't their top riders that were winning and I just find that interesting in that you know what goes behind that is it just the mentality is it that you know of course they've bought a bunch of talented riders no doubt about that but like is it what we just talked about earlier is it that motivation that they all get from each other or you know what else goes into this and what can other teams learn from that uh, there's some things that maybe we'll never know because they keep it a secret, not in a bad way. They're not, I don't believe they're doing anything naughty, but like, I think that there's so many things that go into being successful that that's what I think about when I see these kind of results of like, oh, I'd love to be on the fly on the wall in their training camps and, and some of their meetings. Matt, you had it with Grace Brown and she had some interesting points on the, on the whole thing. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Um, I, it was really nice to chat with Grace. She's a good one. And she was very honest about what it's like racing under the oppressive thumb of SD Works at the moment. I thought she would kind of bat it away and give the the regular line of, oh, we just focus on our own race and do our own thing and don't worry about them. And she's like, well, we started the season like that, but now it's impossible to ignore. You can't, you can't just go and do your own race at the moment because they've got, what did she say? Got Weebus for the sprints. Demi for the climbs and Kopecky for everything in between and true and then you throw in the rest of the team at Turing as well that can win on everything else you know it's she said it was just getting it's getting pretty disheartening and frustrating and she had a real sense of um yeah kind of fatigue about the whole thing like there's a an inevitability about SD works at the moment it seems like and I don't know how representative Grace's views are of the peloton but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of people feeling like that at the moment. Yeah. Even like you look at like, um, Barbara Garishi who won the third stage, she's been riding in the Peloton for a really long time and really jumped around teams and like, hasn't had a win in quite some time. And even she's thriving at SC works and it's really, I was going to say there's something in the water, but that's like, you can't say that in cycling. It's like, (laughs) or in sport, I guess. No, I, but I mean, I think part of it is like wins breed wins and they're just putting on that Jersey must feel like you're on top of the world for every rider on that team at the moment. But it is like, yeah, as a viewer, as a casual fan, if I'm taking myself out of being like a journalist in the sport, it's just like, it is a little bit exhausting because you're, because you want to see every team win and it and I don't know what other teams can do to challenge them at this point because it's not like there's that many it's not like there's that much depth in the peloton yet we're still on this like in this learning curve of the women's world tour and teams that shouldn't be world tour and that we need a, a pro team category and like I'm gonna 
bang that horse that's not a saying for the rest of <laughs> eternity until the uci makes a protein category makes three categories um but like yeah there's it's not like there's that many riders for other teams to go swoop up in order to make a team as strong as sc works or challenge sc works they have to like come at it in different ways and i think we will see that later in the season, but at this point coming off of the spring and like watching Turrigan, it's just like, Oh my gosh, like I'm exhausted watching, watching SC works just win over and over and over and over and over. I would love to see Marta Locke win a stage of Turrigan. <laughs> well, I think there are some, you know, put the SD work stuff aside. I think there are some promising things that came out of touring and i noted down a few um marta Lack is one of them she had a, a really good race a second a third a fourth a fifth and sixth overall and that's coming off a win at the britannia ladies tour as well so uh great little period for her and that bodes well coming to the the bigger races ahead um and just some australian riders that that i thought did really well um during the week uh, ruby roseman gan continues to develop really nicely she was third on the final stage um, fourth overall she's got a bunch of really promising results this season and um, is on a, a promising trajectory um, Neve Bradbury was back after a month away with a broken elbow and won the best young rider was seventh overall um, and then Sophie Edwards was fourth on the final stage um, and she's a I guess a relatively unknown rider for anyone outside of Australia but 23 um, year old track rider road rider um, the Oceania champion, so she's got a, a fancy jersey. Um, winner of the Melbourne to Warrnambool, which is a you know big local race here, um, and uh, a very promising sprinter, I guess, an all-rounder slash sprinter. So to see her up there, uh, very promising, and I think yeah, just a handful of the riders that caught my eye of um, that could be going yeah heading in a good direction. Yeah, I I think that's awesome that you mentioned all of those riders, Matt. I was definitely happy to see uh, some of those names up there, especially Sophie Edwards and just props to the ARA Skip Capital team and Team Bridge Lane, two Aussie National Road Series teams that have made their way over to Europe for a couple of months. And it's not easy to even get invites to races. I know that they were, you know, having to email again and again for some race days. So I think like it's great that they've put their money where their mouth is in supporting women's cycling and to take full teams over there. And um, I guess this can be a segue into should this race or it will be in the future world tour because what a great opportunity for that level of team to be able to race this level of race and and this particular race because it it was always actually one of my favourite stage races and I know a lot of riders have enjoyed it. It's like a really nice area to race in rolling roads nice safe roads it's pretty quiet um but uh it just makes you super fit kind of going into the summer season as well uh and for australians it's got that extra um significance because this is where we commemorate amy gillett where she was um tragically killed out on the road with her training partners The, the australian national team was here 15 years ago now so it just over 15 years so that's always something that was always uh special for me to go and race there and I think the Aussie riders hopefully are continuing that tradition of um acknowledging 
that life and visiting the memorial, but like you can't get better racing than this for your career as an up and coming rider trying to make it in Europe. So I'm sure that they would have gotten their names called out on the radio. I saw Gina Ricardo, breakaway specialist in Australia, was in some breakaways. So, and no doubt other Australians were trying to get into those breaks too, and plenty of other smaller European teams. And that's how you get noticed. This is kind of like the draft in some ways for going into world tour teams is going into these kind of races. Yeah. I mean, like, so you have every single race, every race in Europe has like smaller European teams that are able, every world tour race has smaller European teams. You had like local teams in the UK able to race ride London. You have those Australian teams that are able to race TDU and stuff, but at the bigger European races, it's really hard for those small teams to be able to start the race, let alone compete against the top teams. And Turingen has always been such an incredible race for those up and coming riders and those small teams to be able to get some experience. I mean, I remember when I was on, I think it was UHC, we went to Turingen and it was, it was a big week for us to be able to be there. And it's also such an easy race logistically for those smaller teams to be able to handle because it's like a pinwheel style where you stay at the same place for the whole six days and you go from there when you're racing like the Giro, for example, or the Tour de France Femme, looking at the course for that, Matt and I are going to have some like brutal road driving, driving to be able to, to go from stage to stage. And teams like sometimes just don't have the means for that. It's not like every team has a bus where it's comfortable for the riders to travel from straight stage to stage. And so Turingen is like a really awesome kind of entry point into Europe for a lot of riders. It's a race that's incredible racing really well put on logistically and also they have live coverage they they treat the riders really well and so from that kind of standpoint making it world tour makes sense but from the standpoint of developing women's cycling to me it just doesn't it doesn't make sense and i think like there are other races that are world tour that maybe don't deserve that status and turingen does but it's also looking at the development of women's cycling and where we're falling short at the moment, making Turingen world tour is a step in the wrong direction. In my opinion. It's also not like there's a shortage of world tour races at the moment. The calendar's feeling very crowded. So no, adding one. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if there are plans to remove any for next year, but adding extra races doesn't really feel necessary at this point. It is a lot. There's a lot, there's a lot to keep up with. And, um, yeah, and it's not like it's going to get any thinner in the one. One question is like, I know that the touring and organizers would like to get that world tour status, but ultimately what does that mean for them? Like, is it even beneficial for them to have that uh, title because they still attract the best teams, not all of them, but enough of them to have good racing. So I don't really know the ins and outs of the ramifications of a different classification but I think that they get quite good exposure they give us good coverage and we they have viewers and it's good racing and they attract good teams so I'm not quite sure what the benefit to them would be either. There's uh, an article in um, Cycling News written by uh, Kirsten Frattini uh, great journalist by the way she's she's great Um, she's written uh, a piece about the, the step up to world tour and she's saying she's quoting the race director Vera Holfeld who said um, I only want to hold the touring and ladies tour in the future if we have some of the world's best at the start 
Um, no one can guarantee me that without world tour status. So that's why we submitted the application. So they only want yeah, the best there and to be able to guarantee that that's what they have to do. But yeah, read into that what you will, I guess. Oh, that's a little bit disappointing, but I guess it's just like, yeah, we need that. We need those smaller teams to have this opportunity and they're just slowly being taken away. Um, and especially with like world tour teams, like you have, you know, Valencia in the beginning of the year, a week long stage race and almost every world team fields a team there. So even though it's a smaller level race, it's still like impossible for the, the local teams, the Spanish teams, or like any of the other teams that show up that aren't world tour to be able to do anything. And yeah, it's this weird balance, right. That I think we haven't figured out yet but we also haven't figured out the balance of having a world tour teams so it all kind of goes down to that we're growing really fast as a sport and things are being left behind that like need attention yeah i think that's what's quite staggering isn't it when you have these conversations and you look just a few years back and see already how rapidly things are changing um but i think from the outside as you say you can think like everything's in a fantastic place but there are things that are perhaps being not discussed to the extent that they they perhaps need to and i'd love your take on the relegation system and and again i guess asking the question for listeners what does that actually mean how much is it going to affect in your mind the dynamic of racing if people are on that crunch point of we're going to we're going to lose our license this year as, as UCI Women's World Tour? So perhaps right we're not going to field that race. How how much of an effect and impact will it actually have in, in your mind, Abby? Yeah, it's interesting because I think for me, looking at the way that it's shaking out at the moment, the teams that deserve to be World Tour teams are going to be World Tour teams. They're easily ranked in the top like seven of the rankings and then you have teams that have the money to be world tour have the resources but can't field the riders and that's like israel premier tech roland and human powered health those two teams you know they're world tour in status but they just can't compete and i think that that brings that that brings attention to that there needs to be a middle tier because those teams would easily fit into a middle tier and like park hotel valkenberg which has ranked in the top 15 in the past and has no interest in being world tour because they're more keen on development like i think i don't think it's impacting the racing so much at the moment except for what races teams are showing up to like having human powered health at these smaller races, Uno Wax is going to smaller races and they're winning those races, which I think kind of proves that they are a level above the other teams that joined the world tour in 2022. Like Uno X for me is a team that does deserve that status because they have the money, they have the resources, but they also are picking up the riders and developing the riders that they have to be able to compete against the top teams and what it comes down to is like uh, uh, tying into the SD works conversation. We want teams that are able to take SD works down or at least challenge them. It'll make the racing more exciting and you can't be a world tour team. If you are not going to factor into the race, like you can't be Peloton Vodder if you're a world tour team, that's just simply not acceptable in my opinion. And so I think what the relegation system is going to do is just take those teams out of the world tour. Um, and 
if they have the budget and they're actually keen on women cycling, hopefully they take that budget and they try to develop riders to be able to compete in the world tour. That's what I want to see. And I think human powered health has the budget and hopefully has the desire to develop women to be able to compete against like the biggest teams in the world, but you don't have to be a world tour team to go to these big races anymore, or you've never had to like team teams, races are always going to accept lower level teams. There's like not, enough world tour teams to field an entire peloton and that's the whole point so it's yeah it's an interesting thing and i think overall i approve of the relegation system in the women's for the men's it's like a whole different conversation for me but for the women's i think that 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 they keep handing out world tour licenses to teams that don't deserve it that's when the relegation system is going to be beneficial to women cycling no uh- I like that explanation and I agree. Like I think that there needs to be a bit of a shakeup because the last few years I think it's been too easy to get a world to a license. So I don't think it's necessarily going to be a bad thing. And like, yeah, I, like Abby, I can't foresee any real negative effects. Um, I think you just have to wait and see how it pans out. But overall, like to um, promote the teams that are good enough to world tour, that I think that's a good thing. Yeah, like I'm watching Life Plus Wahoo kind of on the cusp of that world tour battle. And that's a team that, you know, a British team that's been around for a long time and has developed some incredible riders into the world tour. And I think that they would be like the top level pro team if we had that that middle tier. But I also, they're a team that I'm I'm curious about how they would fit into the world tour. And I think that they deserve that opportunity because of... The develop because of the attention that they've put into women's cycling, the the care that they have for the sport. I mean, for me, a, a lot of it is comes from the heart, you know. And I think women's cycling always, like us sitting here, the riders riding their bikes, the the teams. I feel like a the races. A lot of women's cycling is like ha- you have to care, you have to like love the sport, you have to have a desire to see the sport better. And I think like for me, that team has always had that. And so I want to see them in the world tour and they are on the cusp of qualifying for that world tour license when they haven't been able to get it in the past, whether they can then come up with the money to have the, the minimum, the requirements to be, be a world tour team is a completely different conversation because they, they couldn't do that last year. And so they didn't apply, but the, it definitely like opens the doors for some teams like that and like WNT Sarah is a, like they should be a world tour team and they haven't applied in the past. And I don't know if it's because they don't have the budget or what. And I think I've heard that they are interested in the world tour for next year, but that's like a team that I, I feel like should be pushed into the world tour because they are constantly in that conversation with the world tour teams if that makes sense. So it's, I think it's good. I I'm interested to see how it shakes out and maybe the system won't work in the future because men's cycling is obviously way more established. And I don't think the relegation system works as well there, but women's cycling, we're, we're still just like brand new <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. So yeah, it'll be interesting when it starts impacting the racing negatively is when I I'm going to be bummed about it. When people are racing for points rather than racing for the win, that's when I'm like, okay, well, now we need to take a step back and figure out how to do this differently because I don't want to see 
Canyon SRAM racing for, you know, seventh, eighth, and ninth when I would rather see them trying to win the race. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just really interesting to get your take because I think we can look at point systems, we can look at everything on paper, but it's interesting to hear what does it actually mean? Does it mean X team will not be able to go to Y race? But actually, if they are still able to field it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't see like any of the teams that are kind of removed from the world tour not still getting invites to the biggest races like maybe they won't get invited to the tour de france femme of x swift which is basically why a lot of teams applied for world tour status in 2022 but also if you're not even part of the race why would i want to see you there like when it's this weird situation where you have like some of the smaller teams that don't have the budgets and the riders don't have salaries and stuff like that being more active in the race than world tour teams. <laughs> um, and that's just kind of a bummer for me. I mean, interesting. Cause I love watching those little teams, like just try and try and try and try, <laughs> but I also like want to see the racing be a little bit more dynamic. And for that, we need stronger teams. And I think, yeah, that the, the more the world tour teams are able to develop. And also it opens if those teams kind of lose their status and there's riders on the market, then it means that other teams can kind of bolster their rosters even more and try to build a team that is going to not let SC works win every single stage of Turingen with different riders. <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happens next. Um, you know, with the likes of the Tour de France fan, Mavic Swift. I mean, we talked about Turinga and that's, yeah, that's one example of ST works and their dominance. But yeah, I, I surely, surely that won't be the case at the Tour. Oh man, I I think if, if SC works wins every single stage of the Tour, I might quit. Quit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. I, just... I don't think so, but it'll, yeah. it's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to rule it out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's the Van Vluten factor to, to consider in all of this, um, which, you know, it's funny that last year and the year before, you know, Van Vluten's dominance was the problem. And now we're kind of like, come on, beat us, do works. You know, at least that's how, that's how I feel anyway. You know, she'll be able to take it to them in the uh, in the mountains of the tour and, and the Giro as well, I guess. So I totally to like... I've totally, I'm totally smitten with Van Vluten. Like I used to be not a huge Van Vluten fan, not, not a fan, but I, she was, she was so mm. dominant that I, maybe it's just like, you know, you love an underdog and <laughs> Van Vluten, so for, the underdogs. for some well, reason. it's set up perfectly, right? Because she's had chaos. such an ordinary spring. So given how ordinary her spring was, she kind of is coming in as a bit of an underdog. I mean, welter aside and all that, but you know, this lead up with Van Vluten kind of resting, I guess, ahead of the Giro and all of that while SD Works is winning everything. I don't know. It kind of sets it up nicely, I reckon. Yeah, and I think, like, if we look at kind of the races to come, like, Van Van Vluten is definitely the favorite for the Giro. I think it's going to be her and Guy Riolini when we see, like, how that goes. But we've got, like, Tour de Suisse is super open, and it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Marlon Russo will be there, and she's just, like, insane right now so i i feel like it will be another sc work show but it's still not not a guarantee like that yeah i'm i don't think that sc works is going to win every stage of the tour and i especially think there are riders that are targeting the the two 
bigger races to come, the Giro and the Tour, that are just not on form yet. Um, I mean, like, Cecilia Trip-Ludwig, we've barely seen her this year, and she will be going for the Tour de France Femme. That will be a huge target for her, you know? And, like, FDJ with Grace, who's riding pretty well at the moment, and how that team is developing, and Marta coming back from injury as well. It's like, there are definitely teams that are just... I mean, I said it last week, they're just like they've got bad luck at the moment and SC works is just on a string of good luck. Yeah, actually, do you know what? A rider that we didn't mention earlier, FDJ's um, Clara Capone. Mm. Um, I've been so impressed with her. And I guess again, because I had a closer eye on some of the British races in the last couple of years, but um, she took a stage of the women's tour um, in, in the spring finish in that and second on day one of, of ride London. But yeah, she's, been someone that I've um, had quite a close eye on. And yeah, I thought she was really impressive this week. Yeah, she she like continues to be a really impressive rider and she's still really developing as a rider, like her specialty. I mean, she's she's got a really good kick, but she's also just been instrumental for that team and the growth that they've had over the last two years. Yeah, completely. Well, yep, coming up, we've got Tour de Suisse. It starts on the 17th of June. So we do have like a little bit of a break. <laughs> Like it's been full <laughs> gas, but we have like two weeks until the next world tour race. And, and then we're back on with the tour de Swiss and the Giro and then the tour. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. But yeah, good. we get to breathe a for rest. like a minute. <laughs> it, it only took the cancellation of one of the Peloton's favorite races to give us a break. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we're, and we're being very selfish, giving us a break, not the riders. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, don't the riders. <laughs> no, there's no break for them. They're all at altitude now because that's what you do now. <laughs> Everyone just goes <laughs> to altitude to train. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Thanks you all for joining me. It's been awesome chatting. We had a lot to cover before we end the episode. This is oh man, I didn't prep you for this, Rebecca. I'm sorry. Um, oh, what's happening? Okay, so we end. I think I've got a guy. We, <laughs> we end each episode with what we've been obsessed with lately. And I'm going to start with Matt. Matt, did you do any planning for this? I know I didn't. (laughs) I mean, my answer... My answer is the same as last week, um, The Expanse on uh, the the TV show, but I'll I'll give you something else just as a little tidbit. Um, uh, One of my many passions is snooker. Terrible at it. Love watching it. Um, You just continue to be like a fascinating individual. (laughs) Yeah, I love this. We're gonna have some. We're gonna have some chats on during the tour, Abby. You'll you'll be surprised. (laughs) Yeah, so I love watching snooker. Um, There's a one of the all-time greats is a guy called Stephen Hendry. Those who know snooker will know who I'm talking about. Seven-time world champion. He has a YouTube channel now, and he, among other things, you know, he gives out tips and all this kind of stuff. But he does interviews um, with current and past players uh, and he did an interview this week with um the greatest of all time ronnie o'sullivan who he sparred against it during his career they had a lot of good battles um and it's just the two of them in a room playing a bunch of frames of snooker chatting about big moments in each other's careers the moments they came across each other um psychology of sports stuff a whole bunch of stuff, just two guys chatting, you know, just down the club almost, but it just happens to be two of probably the two greatest players ever to have picked up a cue. And uh, just something about that is just makes me very happy watching that unfold. Um, 
So anyone that likes snooker that hasn't seen that, you'll love that. There's a, a nice little niche thing for you, Abby. <laughs> I like that it. Is the most niche. <laughs> <laughs> mine, mine is a podcast. So, well, a podcast slash like a like a um, he does video sometimes as well. But I have always really loved Zane Lowe and his interviews with um, musicians. And I feel like there's been a couple lately that are just like so good. He had one with Ed Sheeran that was awesome about his new album Subtract. Um, if you listen to the album files, shameless plug, then you also know that I love Little Sims and he interviewed her recently as well. And he had one like um, video with Boy Genius and the three of them together are just like so... Uh, like I'm obsessed I'm obsessed with watching those three interact and so his conversation with them was really awesome so before we started recording this podcast I was listening to his interview with Storms Stormzy Storms (laughs) they call him Storms I know I was like I'm pretty sure it's Stormzy but then on the podcast he calls him Storms and I was like well maybe it's just they've shortened it they've nicknamed his nickname um, but, but he, they did a, he did an interview with him and he was talking a lot about his faith and how that played into his recent album. And I think it's just Zane Lowe, you know, he makes the interviews really personal and has just an incredible way of, um, making it sound like you're just sitting at the table with the person he's interviewing and they're chatting and you're just kind of listening in. And that's how I view this podcast as well. So I feel like being able to listen to some of my favorite musicians just casually chat about like their family and, um, and the music that they've made is really cool. So that is my obsession this week. His latest album is great too. Check it out. It is really good. Yeah. Who's next? (laughs) I can go. It still needs some more thinking time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have been obsessed for a couple of years now with the show called alone. So it's like a survivalist show and I've watched all the American seasons and they've just had an Aussie season. So I've been obsessed with the Aussie one. And sometimes Aussie things are not quite as good as American made things, but they actually did a really good job. Uh, The contestants were great and the winner, I won't spoil it, but like the winner is probably my favorite winner of all of the seasons. Um, They did an awesome job. So the premise of the show, if you've never heard of it, is they take 10 trained survivalists or, or nature kind of people. They have to have skills. They can't just be random people. They take them to um, the wilderness and they drop them in remote locations and they can't access each other's different areas so that you have to be alone. You're only allowed to take 10 items with you and it's whoever lasts the longest. And it's fascinating watching their skills because it's really interesting seeing what kind of shelters they build, how they catch food, how they process food. But for me, the most fascinating part of it is the psychology of it, of being alone and not knowing um, how long you've got to go. They don't know when other contestants drop out. And, um, and the reasons why people are out there and the reasons they stay out there, I think it's like really interesting. So it's, it's probably not for everyone, but I know it's a really popular show. So a a lot of people like it and I've loved it. And the Aussie season that wrapped up last week was awesome. That's like when you are super into survivor and you just want to take it one step further. Yeah. It's (laughs) like survivor, but like, yeah, way more hardcore. (laughs) 
No, no, I was just going to ask. It's on SBS in Australia, right? Yeah. Gracie, is that right? Yeah. So just a, a plug for your employee there. <laughs> well, they like point, points off for my employer because I was working for them last week. And so I saw the spoiler before I saw the last episode. So I was oh, a little bit no. annoyed about oh, that. No. And there was no way of avoiding it. So I was just like, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> but it, it was still a very good last episode that I enjoyed, even though I knew still the enjoyed winner. it. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to invite me on a Celebrity Island show uh, to survive anytime soon, but I always wonder, like, what would my psychology be all about if I was in that position? I'd probably, yeah, I think it, yeah, it'd be fascinating, wouldn't it, to mm. go on one of those? Mm. Or just horrendous. Gracie, did you ever apply to Survivor? Uh, no, I have never applied, but um, I know. Are you going to? I know someone that has. I've applied three times. <laughs> they have not accepted me. <laughs> Maybe next year is your year. Man, I feel so like getting on life. American Survivor would be way harder than Australian Survivor, just like numbers wise. There must be like thousands of people that apply or tens of thousands. Yeah. I'm like the perfect candidate, so I don't know why they haven't. Maybe I'm not <laughs> dramatic enough. <laughs> Maybe they'll hear this and you'll get your invite in the post. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm a little busy, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd have to cancel at least the Tour de France or the Giro yeah, in, in order Matt. to... Make... You're, you're on your own. <laughs> That's all right. <clears throat> um, shall I finish up? Um, I've had a little time to think on the spot. Um, obviously, you know I'm obsessed with your podcast. I've had many, many hours of trying to get my one-year-old baby over the last year um, to sleep. And so you've kept me in fine company. Um, but outside of cycling, I've become really obsessed with How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, another podcast. And she's a British um, journalist and author. And I love the, the hook and the premise of her podcast because rather than interviewing high-profile people from all walks of life in in sport and entertainment um about what's gone right she asks them to come armed with three things that they feel were their biggest failures and what's gone wrong and i love flipping that again getting that honesty from guests and she's had some brilliant people on and from my point of view it's been very interesting to see very successful interviewers broadcasters presenters come on and actually say how many times they were rejected hey had to throw the plan out the window become writers in order to get back in the door to do what they ultimately wanted to do and um, because they were just failing all these or failing all these auditions and then have become some of the you know the biggest success stories uh, phoebe waller bridge who's now as you all know, multiple winners of BAFTAs and awards and was on the writing team for James Bond. And she was saying the reason she started script writing was because she was just going to all these auditions and getting told, well, there's thousands of you. Everybody can come in here and, and kind of nail an audition. But what's different? So she became a writer. Then she ended up writing and starring in Fleabag and the rest is history. But I love the idea of flipping that. You know, what's not necessarily been the most recent things that have gone right but what at the beginning was your success story when it all went wrong yeah love that it's kind of like the anti-highlight reel exactly i love it i'd have plenty to talk about. i've just <laughs> saved that podcast that's right up my alley so thanks for that tip i'm already downloading the first episode <laughs> and i'm on uh, your tips and just don't no spoilers please <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like um 
like I've been consuming a lot of Ed Sheeran lately and he's he talks a lot about his failures and like he I keep seeing him in interviews, like constantly pulling up a clip of one of his like first YouTube videos and he can't sing at all. And I just, I think it's awesome. Like people look at like celebrities and, and stuff and think like, oh man, you, you've got it easy, but man, it's like, it takes a lot of work to get, get to that level. And like a lot of people have worked very, very hard to achieve what they've achieved. And you just can't see the, the bad stuff because Instagram has made life a highlight reel, but we don't have to get into that. <laughs> right now, that's another day. Yeah. All right. Head on over to escapecollective.com. Become a member. Supporting some, some really cool people in doing some really cool things. So thanks so much to Escape for supporting us, this podcast. And also thanks to you all for supporting Escape. No one can... No one can hear my thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs>